0: Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode one, the Doreen Herbert case. Everyone that knows me knows I absolutely love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday and it's also my favorite time of year. There's just something about it. Everyone gets to trade their identities for something more exciting, inspiring, and even scary just for one night each year. So for my first case, I decided to choose a crime that was committed during Halloween. It takes place Halloween night, 1984, in San Jose, California. Trick-or-treaters were getting started with their nights and so were the adult party goers. Everyone had their mask, their wigs, face paint, all that. And they were ready to trick-or-treat or go to parties. It was a very thrilling time. There was a buzz of trick-or-treaters. So during this, no one really seemed to notice that there was this lone man in a wolf mask across the street from 31-year-old Doreen Herbert's suburban home. He blended right in. But what the neighbors failed to realize was that this monster was anything but pretend. Doreen was eight months pregnant at the time, so she decided to stay back and pass out Halloween candy to the trick-or-treaters that night. While her husband, Charles, and her four-year-old daughter, Diana went off trick-or-treating together. Since she was so pregnant, she decided to stay close to home and wanted to take her daughter out to the final few houses around their own home when Charles returned. She had no idea that this was about to become a real-life nightmare. After a successful night of trick-or-treating with his daughter, Charles comes home. He kisses his wife goodbye before he leaves for a quick errand just to the local liquor store. He had no idea that the next time he would see her, she would be bleeding to death on their entryway floor. So after Charles leaves for the store, Doreen and Deanna continue to pass out candy for the trick-or-treaters. And Charles, he warned her that, you know, hey, it's getting late. Maybe you should lock things up and call it a night. But it was really hard for the two of them to refuse candy for the neighborhood children because this was such an exciting night for them. One family that left Doreen's house did notice this man in a cartoonish wolf mask standing still across the street. What's weird about this is he was just standing there, still as stone, and he also didn't have anyone with him. It was just this adult in this cartoonish wolf mask. But still, it's Halloween, so they really didn't think much of it at the time. So the doorbell rang one last time. Doreen and Deanna had their candy in hand, and they expected to find a gleeful neighbor in costume. But what they found was the man in the wolf mask. Now, Charles returned from the liquor store 15 minutes later. And when he came home, he noticed that the door was unlocked. And he thought, well, that's kind of weird but she probably just forgot to lock it up after she passed out candy. So he just entered the home and didn't think much of it at all. But instantly he found out he was very wrong. He was met with a heartbreaking scene that would last with him forever. His wife lay there bleeding on the floor of the entryway. And what's really sad is a slight distance away her eight-month fetus lay separated from her body, deceased, on the living room floor. Now, Charles didn't really know what to think. At first, he thought, oh, no, maybe she had some kind of miscarriage or something like that. But within seconds, he realized that there was something darker at play. Doreen was missing a hand, which he saw lying across the room from her. So he didn't know where his daughter was, but he was able to find her after only a few minutes. She was trembling across the room for him. She was safe and unharmed, but of course was deeply traumatized from everything she had seen and heard. She told him everything, and what's really, really heartbreaking is she said she heard the baby crying before it died. Charles moved Diana to the kitchen to shield her from seeing anything else. He then tried to somehow stop Doreen from bleeding by blocking the hole from her severed wrist, but soon he realized that she was bleeding all over her body from wounds all over. Somehow she was still alive, though. So frantically, he runs and calls 911. But while doing this, he slips and falls on his wife's blood. And he's completely drenched at this point in her blood. He's also unable to reach the emergency service. It might be busy, or he got a busy tone, or something like that. But he's able to call the fire department who sends the emergency services right away. So they arrive and they take Tiana to a neighbor's house so she doesn't have to see anything else going on. Now this time Charles is pleading with them to go with his wife in the ambulance to the hospital. But instead he is refused and they place him in handcuffs. Now, the police note that there is alcohol on his breath, and of course, there's blood all over his body because he tripped on his wife's blood, and it's all over his body at this point. Now, they didn't want to take any chances, they were just doing their job. He looks like a possible suspect at this point, for sure. They didn't want the murderer to get away. So they placed him in the cop car. Now he just kicked and screamed and was angry and tortured at this point. And the idea of being separated from his wife while she was going through this, going to the hospital, just killed him inside and he could not take it. So he was acting hysterical. And sadly, Doreen died before she even made it to the hospital. So Charles never got to say goodbye to her. Investigators searched Doreen's home and it looked like a scene out of a terrifying horror movie. But unfortunately, it was real. There was blood everywhere. Everyone that came into the house, the paramedics and everyone tracked blood. And there was blood splatter Literally everywhere. It was the front door, the ceiling, and there was even blood on the jack-o'-lantern that was carved by the family for the holiday, which is pretty eerie. The police did find the wolf mask that was abandoned on the front porch of the home, and they quickly realized that it did not belong to anyone that lived there. In only a matter of hours, the police began to realize, "Hey, Charles Promley isn't our guy," and they began to switch their attention to Doreen's first husband. His name is William Michael Dennis, or Mike, as he was called by his friends and his family. So, why would Mike commit such a murder? Well. Mike and Doreen have a really complicated and also a sad, tragic history together. You see, eight years before her murder, Doreen gave birth to her first child, Paul, the son of her first husband, Mike. The two of them were married less than a year after meeting, but their marriage sadly was brief and unhappy. There were rumors of affairs and there was financial stress. Mike lost a job during that time, which put them in a constant state of stress. And parenting a young child, they just realized that they were not right for each other. So they divorced shortly after their son was born in 1977. So Doreen was granted primary custody of Paul and then he would spend his weekends with his dad, Mike. There are a lot of accounts out there that Mike was not happy about the divorce. He didn't argue about the custody situation, I don't think, because he knew Doreen was a good mother, and he was really close to his son, but he was feeling some kind of way about the divorce still. I don't know if there were lingering feelings, or he was just angry and bitter. But he wasn't happy about it. He did love his son dearly. And it was hard to let him go at the end of each weekend. And in a way, he knew that with Paul, it was a way that he could stay connected to Doreen. In 1979, Paul was just a toddler, and then Doreen remarried. She remarried Charles Herbert, and he was an owner of a local carpet store. That same year, they became parents to Deanna Herbert. Doreen moved into Charles' home, and their home had a swimming pool in the backyard, and they loved to spend time there together. But sadly, the family dog had drowned in the pool pretty early on. So then after that incident, Mike was concerned for his son Paul's safety, of course. He insisted that Doreen build a fence around the pool. And yeah, of course, she agreed. That's a fair request, sure. But unfortunately, the fence didn't stop tragedy from occurring. 1980, Paul was only four years old. Somehow he climbed through the fence and drowned in the backyard pool. He was on life support for one week before passing away in a hospital bed. After this very sad tragedy, Mike grew increasingly depressed, which is pretty normal considering the death of his son. At first, he blamed himself. Because that morning, Paul said he didn't want to go home to Doreen's. He wanted to stay with his dad. So for a while there, Mike blamed himself. And he said, you know, maybe it's my fault. I shouldn't have let him go to Doreen's house. He should have stayed with me. He'd be safe. All that. And then... That self-blame really didn't last very long, though. Almost immediately after that, he changed gears and began to blame someone else for the incident. Of course, that someone else was Doreen. He believed she could have done more to save their toddler. After Paul was found at the bottom of the pool, Doreen apparently panicked and she ran to a neighbor's house for help. So Mike constantly questioned why she didn't jump in and save him herself. As far as Mike was concerned, Doreen committed murder. It may not have been intentional, but he felt like she murdered their son. And compiled with all this grief that he's going through, he's just not thinking straight. He went so far to file a wrongful death suit against his ex-wife and her husband. He was convinced at this point that Doreen had killed her son. The case went to trial in 1982. Doreen and Charles were not convicted of any wrongdoing. So after he heard the outcome of this, Mike wept incessantly. And he said, quote, she got away with it. In the courtroom, Charles told Mike, you're no longer welcome to visit Doreen and you're no longer welcome in our family home. That's that. But that was not that. Mike could not let this go. After he lost the suit, his rage towards Doreen only deepened. He became entirely convinced that Doreen murdered his son. There are even court documents where he says, quote, she had not suffered enough. Now, at this point even friends were noticing this drastic change in Mike's mood. He was never really a particularly upbeat person or life of the party or anything like that, but even for him, he was becoming way more reserved and distant. There was one friend that thought Mike's grief for his son was unusually obsessive. Another also said that this was the last link between Mike and Doreen. So now that Paul's no longer there, there's nothing connecting them anymore. And that was a reason he was so upset. And that caused him even more anguish. Everyone does grieve differently, and it's important to note that. But even those closest to Mike were noticing that his behavior was different for him. And he seemed to be losing control and obsessing over this and obsessing over Doreen. In early October of 1984... Mike was demoted from his position spraying tiles used on space shuttles at a factory called Lockheed in San Jose. He took a major pay decrease from $13.53 an hour to $10.99 an hour. He was also forced to work in a new department, document reproduction, and he had absolutely no interest in it. Now his coworkers at the new unit described him as friendly and cordial, but Mike would often speak of his job sarcastically to his former supervisor. So he was just not in a good place. So for him, this demotion was just the next piece of bad news in a life of what seemed to be constant disappointment. His childhood was also very tough. Growing up, he had a hearing impairment, and that forced him to wear a bulky hearing aid and gave him a stutter. As you can imagine, he never fit in with his peers at school and rarely interacted with them, and when he did, it was probably not positive. Being a child is a very tough time anyway, and when you feel like you're different, that's very tough. He had to rely heavily on reading lips for conversation, so he tended to avoid it altogether. When he was only nine years old, his parents divorced, and that left him feeling both lonely and insecure. This can be really tough for a child and really traumatic at the same time. They sometimes blame themselves, and they also feel very isolated during this time and not close to either parent. He also had some issues with food. He gained an excessive amount of weight in his teens, and this was something he would continue to struggle with into adulthood. He attempted suicide when he was 19 or 20 years old. He was just terribly lonely, and he was also convinced that he was too different to ever find a girlfriend or a life worth living. But he survived the suicide attempt. And shortly after that, around this time, he would meet and fall in love with Doreen. So think about this. After a lifetime of heartache and loneliness he convinced himself that he would probably never find love and he would be alone for the rest of his life. And then he meets Doreen. And he convinces himself that Doreen is the one for him and she was meant to be his soulmate. She replenishes a hope in him that he let go of years before. When their son Paul was born, he found this pure, unconditional love that only a parent and a child share. So as far as Mike was concerned, his life is perfect, complete, and he was happier than he could have ever imagined. So it's not surprising that the loss of his marriage and the death of his son was enough to break him. During the murder trial, psychiatrist Dr. Samuel Benson diagnosed Mike with a dependent personality disorder. This was paired with intense grief for his son's death which caused him to become delusional. He was obsessed with trying to avenge his son's death, and he would admit to having fantasies of killing both Doreen and her husband Charles. Investigators would go on to search his house right after the murders, and then they found two handmade coffins, two handmade body bags, and two anchors. He told Dr. Benson about a fantasy of his where he was drowning Doreen and Charles in the sea. Dr. Benson said this was his only fantasy, but there are findings that indicate this may not have been true. And it's also hard to believe that anyone that's not intending to commit murder would take the time to formulate this real plan And also make handmade coffins and body bags. But he did not drown his ex wife and her new husband at sea. He became overcome with this urge, so intense, so hungry. He needed to act on it immediately. There was no more waiting, it had to happen. So the night of the murder was less than a month after Mike's demotion. He was watching the kids trick-or-treating, and he became overcome with grief for his son, Paul. He saw all these costumes, all these people dressed up, and he had this idea. He believed he had a better chance of getting away with murder on Halloween because everyone's in disguise. I mean, who would be suspicious of a man in a mask? Or who would be suspicious of a man carrying a machete in a grocery bag? Halloween kind of praises horror. Monsters blend right in. So Mike, with his mask on his face and a machete in a bag in his hand, headed for Doreen's with one motive in mind. and That was to seek vengeance for his son. Multiple neighbors did notice the wolf-masked man, on the walk from his house to Doreen's, which was about six minutes, because it kind of stood out that he was one of the few adults in a costume, but he didn't have a child with him. Usually adults dressed up when they were taking their kids along. And he was also said to be standing directly across from her house, just staring in silence, with the grocery bag dangling from his wrist. But it didn't really raise too much suspicion at the time, because it was Halloween. Neighbors would later testify that he did stand out from the crowd, due to his behavior. Because most of the people were happy kids with their parents, and he just seemed kind of off. So now, when Charles left for the liquor store and then the neighbors retrieved their candy from Doreen and Deanna, Mike made his way towards the front door. He knocked, waited patiently. Doreen answered, and she was eight months pregnant, remember this at the time, and her innocent four-year-old was by her side. Mike didn't even pause to think about this. He had no second thoughts or anything. He said, quote, I'm going to kill you through his mask. Now, Dorian probably recognized her ex-husband's voice and demanded that he leave the house. And he didn't, so she told Deanna to hide behind the couch for her safety. And that's when Mike just started slashing. Now, Charles was only gone from his house 15 minutes. During this time, Mike would slash his ex-wife with a machete. This gets pretty graphic, I'm going to warn you. You might want to skip ahead. He cut into her skull on all sides. One cut was so deep, it sliced through two inches of her brain. He severed her left hand and hurled it across the room. He chopped into her shoulders, thighs, and right breast. The very most gruesome part of this is he carved a nine-inch wound in her abdomen and sliced a five-inch wound right beside it, all while her fetus was still inside her. He cut four times into the umbilical cord, separating her unborn child before throwing it to the side. Dorian was choking on her own blood, and Mike asked her just one chilling question, quote, how does it feel to drown? He wasn't finished at this point though. He turned his attention towards her unborn child. Now the fetus was eight months along and only had a month before his due date, so it could have survived a premature birth. But he cut into the infant's shoulder, penis, thighs, and disembodied the bottom of his left leg under the knee. The tiny baby suffered a five-inch wound through half of his body that cut through his vertebrae, liver, lung, and heart. Now, according to the autopsy, the baby never breathed a single breath. But hauntingly, as you remember, four-year-old Diana claimed to have heard the baby cry, which is very eerie. After this was all done and he committed this horrific murder, Mike ran from the house. I don't know why he did this, but he abandoned his mask on the front porch and threw it there. So he left Doreen on the floor dying and her baby dead beside her and her little daughter terrified, alone, and traumatized for life. In the middle of this delusion, he really didn't do much to cover up his actions, so the evidence began to pile on him right away. Investigators arrived at his home hours after the murder. They saw a bedroom light on in his house, and they knocked, but no one answered. So then they called his telephone to say, hey, we're the police. We have a few questions. So he switched the light off and pretended to be asleep when he came to the door, which they were like, okay, you're already lying to us. This is not a good start. He invited them into the house without hesitation. The officer said he did not look sleepy, but kind of wired, not like he just woke up. They sat him down and told him his wife, his ex-wife, Doreen, had been killed in a horrific murder. Without hesitation, Mike just said, quote, you're kidding. It's not the reaction most people would have, even if you're not married to the person anymore and you hear they have suffered this murder, you would have some kind of reaction, but he didn't. He was very casual about it, and that really was off-putting to police. They also noticed that his fingers were covered in gauze and heavily bleeding, which Mike didn't even acknowledge or notice. They asked to see his identification, and Mike said that was in the bedroom, so they followed him there. His bed was neatly made once again, not like he had been sleeping in it. He was also glancing at the headboard and later investigators would find a loaded revolver on the floor beneath it. Investigators then discovered a trail of blood leading from his driveway to a washer and dryer in his garage. His car was dusty except for the windshield and the driver's door, which were wiped clean There was blood in his car. A lot of it, actually. About a week into the investigation, there was a search warrant granted for Mike's home. And police would make a dramatic discovery. They would find the label for a Stanley 18-inch machete tucked inside Mike's bedroom closet. The machete itself was actually never found, but the police purchased one for themselves and they were able to confirm that the wounds inflicted on Doreen and the fetus could have been inflicted by that very blade. At first, Mike denied that the wolf mask belonged to him, but they were able to find a photograph of him wearing it at a party a year earlier. And there were hairs on the mask were a complete match to Doreen's. Even though they knew it never belonged to her. So there was a lot of evidence stacked against Mike at this time. But he denied it. Even after he was arrested. He said that he cut his fingers on a kitchen knife. And that's why it was all bandaged up. But a medical examiner who examined his fingers found that the wounds were really severe. They severed nerves, tendons, and bones, which were not consistent with someone who would have a minor knife injury. There's simply no way that that could happen. It was clear that Mike was not telling the truth in pretty much anything he was telling to the police. By the time of his trial, he could no longer deny that he was the perpetrator of the killings. He would change his story. His motive, seeking vengeance for what he believed was the wrongful killing of his son, was clear. But there was one aspect he would continue to deny through the trial. He said he did not realize Doreen was pregnant. Now, this is doubtful for a lot of reasons, the first being the obvious. She was eight months pregnant, so she was definitely showing at this point when she answered the door. It was also doubtful because family members and friends of Mike's knew about Doreen's pregnancy because they lived so close together and still shared mutual friends. And some claimed that they even told Mike that she was pregnant in passing, She was a very small woman. She was less than five feet tall. So her pregnancy was pretty obvious. Even if he didn't know it before he came into the house, it would be almost impossible to not notice it at that time. He didn't want to focus on it, I guess. He wanted to kind of disassociate from it and not attach himself to it. But it's really weird because there was such rage in his attack on the fetus that it's really hard to believe that it was not planned or purposeful. A lot of people think that maybe he did target her while she was pregnant because he didn't want her to give birth to a new son after she had, as he said, killed the first one, in his words. He was probably resentful that Doreen was having more children and moving on with her life and this new husband. And then there was Mike who would probably never find love again, as he thought, and never get a second chance at this. He does lie a lot, as you have noticed, so it's probably safe to say he was aware of the pregnancy. He did not harm Diana. She was only four when this happened. Now, during the trial, she was eight years old, and she actually testified in court, which was super brave of her she spoke clearly and firmly. She told the jury that she no longer remembered much about what happened, but she did remember some things. She said her mom opened the door, and when she realized who it was, said, quote, get out of my house. And then he replied, quote, I'm going to kill you. And that's when... Her mom told her to hide behind the couch, and she did. She says she stayed there the entire time, just like her mom told her. Only leaving twice. Once was to seek the comfort of her security blanket, and the other time, she said she did not remember what she actually saw. At the end of the trial in 1988, Santa Clara County Superior Court judge sentenced Mike to the death penalty. This had been recommended by the jury. Mike cried when he learned of this. And according to the San Francisco Examiner, he said through his sobs, quote, I'm very sorry. If killing me would bring my little boy back, I'd say, take me now. Now, you would think he would use this to atone for what he did or maybe some kind of apology, but he did not go in that direction. He continued to sob, and he accused Doreen of cheating on him, as well as building a fence that was not well constructed, which allowed Paul to be killed. So he was victim blaming after all of this. And her poor family had to hear him say all these terrible things about her. Losing a child is a tragedy that no parent should ever have to endure. Grief can be all-consuming, life-altering, and intensely painful. But for William Michael Dennis, this grief was murderous. In his pain, he passed another kind of unbearable grief in the cruelest way imaginable to Charles and Diana. They will forever have to live with this and be traumatized. Mike is now in his 60s. He remains on death row in San Quentin prison. He is fighting his life sentence, claiming that he should never have been convicted of this, and should have been convicted of manslaughter instead of first-degree murder. He insists he was so lost in grief that he was not thinking straight. Deanna is now in her 30s, and she said in a 2016 interview with the Bay Area News Group, quote, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I had to grow up without a mom and a brother. In the same interview, Charles Ermert, still grief-stricken after all these years, says he is thankful that the court sentenced Mike to death. He believes the death penalty is the most fitting punishment for the killing of his wife and the unborn child. He says he wants Mike to know, quote, We survived, and we're making it. He hasn't conquered us hey everyone it's your host ash thank you so much for listening to true crime works i really hope you enjoyed the first episode if you have please subscribe and leave a five-star review on apple podcast and make sure to tell your friends also, follow me on Instagram at TrueCrimeWorks. Works. See you next week.